podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Going on, Boneheads. Football season is back. That means my bookie's best offer, 100% match, up to $1,000 using promo code CHAIR. That is a change. It is CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R. Also, they are running the first ever online super book contest. You enter for a hundred bucks and you can win up to a hundred thousand dollars. All you have to do is pick five NFL games against the spread each week, climb the leaderboard, and if your score hits high enough, you're gonna get a share of this massive cash prize. Remember, they've been riding with us for over a year now. I wouldn't recommend this to you guys if they weren't the best in the biz when it comes to paying and customer service. You shoot them a DM, they're gonna answer. You shoot them an email, they're gonna answer. You win, they pay. MyBookie.ag, promo code CHAIR for your 100% deposit match. Now, let's get into the show. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. Bosco's boys are back, and before we jump into it, do want to give a quick shout out to Double Shift Brewery. It is the number one spot we like to record, and that means Beer of the Pod is back. My Beer of the Pod is Night Circus, which is a delicious sour that they're doing. And the guest of this show, Grant, is not available. So we got Jimmy, aka KSU underscore fan, going after Matt, trying to stay close with him for all time appearances. What beer are you drinking today? We've got the Unreliable Narrator, which is a Sunfire Kolsch, pretty light, it's still summertime, so it's a good one for end of the summer, late summer. Yep, so uh, for those of you who are listening, this is one of the most far in advance shows we've ever recorded. We're recording this about two and a half weeks before it goes to publish, so if anything too crazy happens here in early August, well... I don't know. We might have to re-record, but I think yeah, I think this is pretty evergreen, so I think we'll we'll do all right. Yeah. So the first thing I want to tell everyone about is this Blitz Week concept. This is going to be the first show of this series, and it's going to be a look at how prominent members of K-State fandom or media are looking at this season. I've tailored some questions specifically for you, who I call the godfather of advanced analytics when it comes to K-State, because you've been doing this stuff. You're too kind. Yeah, for what, over a decade now? Probably close to, yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about some of those things, how you look at the game, and then we'll wrap up with some questions that we're going to ask just about everyone. Uh, So once people listen through the entire series, hopefully they get a well-rounded preview of how this football season may or may not go so uh i think we'll jump right into it and i think uh anyone who's a member over at kso uh recalls you did a great job really charting and reviewing 
North Dakota State's tendencies at the back end of their season. What really stood out when you looked at their offense, and how do you think that's going to translate to K-State? Yeah, I went through and watched, uh, I think, at least three of their playoff games. And usually when I when I go back and rewatch a game, uh, I'm more of an offensive guy, so I focus on offensive stuff. I can do defensive stuff a little bit, but it's not quite what I've coached or been around in football the last 20 years. Um, but I usually go through and I look at uh, personnel groupings by formation, use of receivers, tight ends, one back, two back. And I've got a system for charting that. And then I've got a system for uh, charting what I consider, what I'm calling offensive plays, whether it be run game, zone, power, pass game, play action pass, quick game, drop back pass. And it's, it's not, football's not, football's pretty universal, so I think most people that know X's and O's would look at it and see what I'm talking about. So, but that's kind of what I focus on, and then I like to go through and, and chart percentages by what we do. So that's kind of the background of what I'm doing when I'm charting football games, which I'll, I'll do and I'll do on KSO this year, and, and some, some of it I do live during games. So, First of all, when you look at North Dakota State, um, they were a, a heavy run team. About two-thirds of the time they ran the ball in those three games I watched, and about one-third of the time they passed the ball. And that's, that's my play call. When I, when I go by uh, a play call, if a pass turns into a scramble, I'm still counting it as a pass play because it was a called pass. Um, and, you, and you can generally tell that most, almost 95% of the time. The quarterback run game was, was a major difference. It was, it was about 10% of their run game, uh, or 10% of their total offense uh, when they were in the playoffs. And I think they used it more in the playoffs than they did during the season. So running each and stick out there, and especially one game they ran them quite a bit. So that's, that's another thing to look at. And then uh, the biggest part of their offense by far was getting the ball to the running back. 80% of the running game was the running back, and over half of their running game was what I consider power. And when I talk about power running game, we're pulling a guard, we're pulling a tackle, we're pulling a guard and tackle. Sometimes they'll pull a tackle and tight end at North Dakota State. So, so that's what I'm talking about there. And uh, counter tray is something probably people have heard of. Those are all kind of power running game. And that was 80% of their running game. So they are a really heavy power football team. And then a little bit of zone read, power read, and some straight zone. So that's, like I said, two-thirds run. K-State last year was about 55% run in, in the six or seven games I charted for K-State. So we're talking about a lot more running game. Um, K-State's total plays, about 20% were quarterback run last year. So that's at about half or twice as much as what North Dakota State was running the ball. And even running the running game, um, about two-thirds of it was was the running back run of the ball for K-State, and only about 25% with the backs was the, was the power running game. So K-State was a lot more zone-based, a lot more option-based, and, and a lot less two-back than what we see from, uh, from North Dakota State. Is there anything specific that K-State did that you want to see us hold on to when it comes to the evolving offense with Coach Mess and Coach Kleiman coming over? Yeah, I would say the, the biggest thing is, is I do think um, ball control is important, especially growing into a new system. 
And I think the best way to do that is to run the ball, of course, use it a lot of clock, um, play action pass off that, if, but you've got to be successful running the ball to do that. So, so I like that. I don't think we're ever going to be Oklahoma with our explosiveness, uh, with the athletes we put on the field. Um, that's not to say we can't recruit athletes, but we're not going to be at that level. Um, but we were at the bottom of the league last year in points per play. We're at the bottom of the league in yards per play. We're toward the bottom in points per drive. And those have got to get better, but we've got to approach the middle to the top third. Um, the other thing that I didn't mention before is, is using the tight end. And when you look at K-State last year, um, K-State used the tight end a lot, but it was about 45% of the snaps. And that's mainly with a single tight end. North Dakota State 80% of the time used the tight end last year in the games I charted. And, and uh, when I look at that, even more so, 40% was two tight ends. So that's a huge, when you look at personnel-wise, a huge difference would be watching how much we use the tight end this year because North Dakota State, we, we think we use it a lot, but compared to North Dakota State, we weren't anything close. Yeah, and that's going to be something exciting to look at. Uh, Nick Lenners hopefully is going to get back to that point where he's 100%. And I'm really intrigued to see what Sammy Wheeler can do and yeah. see if he can get out there and become like an athletic pass-catching tight end. Uh, but when it comes to him, I think if he doesn't know how to block, that's going to be the old-school Daniel Sams, Jake Waters. Hey, if Sammy Wheeler's out there, you know it's about to be a pass play. So Definitely so. You have to get to the point where he's able to block at least service. And, and that's the thing with if you do use two tight ends, like North Dakota State and, and watching them, they definitely have usually, if they were in two tights, one tight end was more like an offensive tackle. And then the, the second tight end was often more like a big receiver. So that's where you could use, if you can find a tight end that could block, if Leonard's can block, or one of the other returning Gannon, guys, Gannon he, can be the blocking guy. he was guy. A basically a yes. tackle last year. So if you can use that and then throw out a guy like Wheeler that can be a, a pass catching threat, that can add another wrinkle to what you're doing too. Definitely. So. While there's obviously change because there is no returning running back with major con contributions, Coach Mess, Coach Kleiman aren't going to treat this team exactly like they did at North Dakota State because obviously different ro roster. So what sort of hybrid do you anticipate seeing this year using the roster they have versus what maybe they would I ideally like to be doing? Or do you think they're going to just say, damn the torpedoes and go with their system? I think it's likely we'll probably see a little more spread. Um, in the games I charted last year, North Dakota State only had three or more wide receivers 30% of the time. So less than a third was three or four, three or four wide receivers. K-State was, was much higher than that. I can't remember the exact number, but it was closer to 70% of the time for K-State that we had three or four wide receivers on the field. So that will be, for me, the most interesting thing to watch is, is is the way we adapt our personnel going to be using those three or four wides more? The problem is we lost some guys, you know, uh, some some hits with with Ryzen and others no longer being around. That that also adjusts what we can do wide receiver wise, and so that balance of, of how much true spread we use. And when I say spread, I'm saying three wide receivers, and how much two wide receivers we use. Is going to be something that's going to be something to watch, especially early, early in the year. So while maybe we would like to see more of that spread concept, 
do you believe we have the wide receivers to be able to do that? Or will it just be something that, hey, they're not there, we're going to go too tight, fullback, and have uh, yeah, that's, Knowles out there making it's, plays? It's really tough to say because we have so many question marks at that position. I think we have talented guys there. I think Youngblood young could be a player. Knowles can be a player. Um, they've talked a lot about Gil being better. We know Schoen is a big target, not super fast, but a big target. So there's four guys that could conceivably play, but will the younger guys, especially Youngblood young and Knowles, be able to adapt and fit with what they want to do? Yeah, because I think maybe Maybe next year, even like in the John Holcomb year, you're going to have a wide receiver core that consists of Knowles, Garber, Youngblood. Uh, I think Gill will still yeah. be around. Phillip Brooks. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it just kind of sucks that it's you know a year or two down the road when you have Skyler this year. So uh, yeah, that is. It's, it's kind of disappointing that you know. It, you know, Skyler, too bad he, like this wasn't going to be his sophomore year. So. That, that is the tough fit. But then the other thing, when you look at that, the other thing is North Dakota State developed two NFL-caliber quarterbacks by not running spread. I That's mean, true. That is I very mean, true. Yeah, Easton Sitt get drafted, and they used three wide receivers 30% of the time. So Very true. And it's not like they were what you would call traditional pro style. I mean, they're, they're kind of traditional power running game team. And so to still – turn guys in the NFL quarterbacks in that system I think says a lot about the development of those quarterbacks. Well, I'm calling it right now. Pimp Juice <laughs> is going to get drafted in a couple hey, of years. you never so. know. Uh, so we were talking about Skyler. Uh, with the lack of proven playmakers at any of the skill positions, really, you would think that they really have to play into Skyler's strengths. What sort of throws did he succeed at over you know last year and maybe even the year before and how is that going to translate into this year because everyone is really counting and hoping on a big jump yeah that's that's a good question i mean the thing that i think of when i think of skylar being successful is what is was those games where they had to turn them loose and you know he's you know your interview with them other people uh Kurtz's interview with them he talked a lot about one of his issues was being scared to make a mistake and, and going out there thinking, if I make a mistake, I'm going to get pulled. But then you could see that change in those games where it was close going down to the end and it, the last fourth quarter, they just kind of turned Scott loose. It didn't always work, but he had the Iowa State come back a couple years ago uh, and a few other games where we came back and Scott was a big key. And it was really because they turned him loose. And he could make a few and take a few chances making throws that he obviously wasn't willing to do during a game because he thought he might get taken out of a game. And so I think just the fact that he's the number one guy will take some of that off. And I also think, you know, I think that the reads that they that Messingham and, and Kleiman are gonna incorporate in the offense are gonna be different than the Snyder reads, which Snyder's read philosophy was always uh, based on avoiding turnovers, which can be good if you have playmakers and can make some plays running the ball and throwing the ball deep. But when you don't, we saw last year, we didn't make a lot of turnovers last year, but our offense was so unexplosive it didn't matter. And so can that balance of him feeling a little more free to make take a few chances at tight windows and the way he reads, which, which I can't say based on anything I've seen definitively, but the way he makes those reads, how is that going to affect 
his confidence and, and his ability to make those throws into tight windows. And that's something we won't see until we start playing probably Mississippi State. Yeah, and I, I'm really hoping that we see in those first two games Skyler demonstrate that he's able to spray the ball yeah. throughout the field. I want to see him, you know, almost be perfect in those, like, short routes, you know, really be good in the medium routes. But then let, let the arm loose a little bit. Yeah. Show some of that, you know, pimp juice swagger and just throw it deep to yeah. young blood and see what happens. So that's really going to be one of those key things I'm looking at in those first two games. Um, so we'll move on to the defensive side a little bit. Um, Coach Kleiman is a defensive-minded guy, but he said in almost every interview he has that he also, you know, really focuses in on the offense. He likes to be in the quarterback meetings and say what he sees as a defensive mind. And Scotty Hazelton is one of the more decorated coaches that came into this staff. So based on those two things, what do you think we're going to project out on this defense? Is it tougher to take what those two have done and see how they'll go against some of those unique Big 12 offenses? Or is there something we can kind of predict or project on those? Well, I, I think there's some trends you can see from both. Um, clearly one of the keys with uh, Kleiman's defenses have been in the front seven, especially on the defensive line. Um, he's always liked to take kind of longer athletes and turn them into defensive ends. Um, uh, strong defensive tackles, uh, and then kind of play off that. Um, and, and it's a little bit different because looking, reading some stuff, especially from guys like Ian Boyd, who I think has some great breakdown stuff of both Kleiman and Hazelton out there. Um, from what I've read, Hazelton last year was was much more of a man guy at Wyoming with kind of one high safety, and Kleiman was a little more zone oriented in, in the way he did things. Um, the other thing you look at is uh, we, we kind of like to simplify coverages when we talk about football as fans and, well, this is obviously cover two and this is man and this is, in reality, number one, at the college level and pro level, they mix coverages a lot. So it's a combination of more than one coverage and one half the field might be a quarters and one half might be cover two. And I mean, they do all kinds of stuff. Those guys get paid a lot of money for a reason and that's part of it um, so that's number one number two um, when you use safeties a lot and especially use safeties almost as a linebacker which I think both of these defenses did um, you got to find the right guy to be able to come down and make a play and still react and make the correct read to get back in pass coverage especially against spread teams like like they're gonna see so, so that's that's another aspect, and then finally, this was this was from Boyd, which I thought was was really cool and something that that I'm going to be watching this year. Is he talked about how defenses create turnovers and especially interceptions? And one of the things he pointed out was K-State's defense last year forced 11 picks, and seven came from cornerbacks. So that generally means on the outside outside the hash marks. Hazleton's defense at Wyoming, only 20% of their picks came from cornerbacks. And then uh, Feynman's defense at North Dakota State, only 33% of their picks came from cornerbacks. Oh, wow. So the way teams funnel throws, and it also dictates a little bit um, zone coverages. Because generally when corners make picks, 
or when defensive players make picks in general, a lot of times they have their eyes on the quarterback. And when a, and when a defender has an eyes, eyes on a quarterback, that generally means they're in zone coverage. So K-State spread out their zone and got quarterbacks' eyes on quarterbacks more, which, which would lead to, in theory, what Boyd was pointing out with the number of interceptions from corners compared to the number of interceptions from linebackers and safeties. So his point was that those Hazleton and Kleiman defenses funnel the ball more toward where safeties and linebackers make plays on the football compared to what we've seen from Hayes and then last year um, uh, in K-State's defense. So to me, that's going to be interesting to say and, and, and to see what happens with that because that's that's kind of a, a little tell that most people probably don't pay attention to that might show differences in what we see this year from past years at K-State. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the Bosco's Voice prediction episode, I think will air before this, but we're gonna record it after. So I'm gonna hold that piece of information for myself. <laughs> I'm gonna predict Denzel Goolsby to lead the team in interceptions. That'd be a good pick. Instead of like an AJ Parker type situation. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So now I have a little bit of information in my back pocket. Um, so the, the last thing I want to talk about, or I guess it wouldn't be the last thing, but something I do want to touch on is the layman's explanation of K-State's defense over, honestly, probably all of 2.0. Yeah. That's the whole bend but don't break. And, you know, there is so much that goes into it. You already touched yeah. on it. It's not – no one's ever saying, hey, go ahead and pick up eight yards of play. Eventually mm-hmm. you'll screw up and, like, we'll, we'll intercept the ball or you'll screw something up. No defense says that. That's just the way, you know, dumb fans like myself, you no. know, try to explain yeah. it. Uh, so do you think that even if you use that large of a tent to catch that uh, kind of more conservative defense, even if you were to use it in such uh, generic terms, do you think we will still see some of those principles based on the lack of athleticism, maybe overall pure talent on the defense, or is it going to be – like drastically different, you know. But again, that's that's an interesting. There's a great point you made about the perception, and I and I think really, I think there's a lot of defenses in this league just because of the nation league that basically play bend but don't break. Um, obviously, teams like West Virginia and Iowa State and maybe even Oklahoma State are ultra aggressive, but I think a lot of other teams are kind of bend but don't break teams. I think the difference is. I think what we saw at K-State that that really probably came from Tom Hayes was soft corners. And I think playing soft corners, and when I say that, I mean playing corners 8 to 10 yards off the ball. Which made me pull my of, hair out. Instead of 3 to 5 yards off the ball, no matter what the coverage, because lots of teams will do that, give you the same look pre-snap every time. And one of K-State's traits was softer corners. Now, I, I, I would guess we're going to see a little bit more aggressive corner play, even if we're playing what people would say is really a bend but don't break defense with four high safety, four, four deep, or mm-hmm. cover two with two high safety, whatever it may be. Um, the, the issue is what kind of creases do you want to give up in your defense? And do you have players that can make up for athletic mistakes? And I think K-State went full tilt on we we're going to not give up those big plays and make people drive the field to beat us. 
Now here's here's my issue with that. The more I think about that, is any more teams don't care. They want to run 70, 80 snaps. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, uh, old Baylor, not necessarily new Baylor. But those teams want to run 80 snaps. They're not worried about making a mistake. I think that that's kind of an old school philosophy of if we just keep making you snap the ball, eventually you're going to turn it over or get your fourth down and we'll force a field goal or whatever. That was like the hallmark of like I really think about the 2011 yeah. team. 11 and 12. We, yeah. we would almost never win overall per percentage of uh, yards yeah. and sometimes not even time of possession, but we would have maybe one or zero turnovers and the other teams would have two or three and they would have a million penalties. And yeah. it's exactly what you said. It went from being just Baylor and maybe back then Oklahoma State who were trying to run yeah. a million plays to now almost everyone. So that really neutralized what we were trying to force teams to do. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's never really clicked for me as yeah. to why that change really yeah. happened. So. And, and the issue becomes teams spread the field so much, wide receivers to the numbers, outside the numbers, that you just create so many vertical creases in the defense. And eventually defensive players are going to make a mistake or be slightly out of alignment. It doesn't take much to get beat on one of those vertical creases. And, you know, the best way to get stops might not be to make teams play eight to ten drives. Because if you, if you – or eight to, eight to ten play drives. Because eventually it's become the more plays you make teams run, the more likely they're going to bust a big play on you. Well, not, and that gets you in trouble. Yeah, not only that, but eight to ten plays – at least the way we saw it no. in the last couple of years, that's going to be 40 to 50 yards, and even best-case yes. scenario, there's a 35-yard field yeah. goal. So um, we're going to wrap up you know, your own version before we get into the predictions part of this. Uh, what is your biggest hope and dreams for the defense this year, um, whether it's a philosophy, whether it's you know, a certain sort of you know, keeping teams under a certain points per drive, anything like that? If you're going to give me one thing you're really hoping for what is it you know that that's a good that's a good question because you know we like to kind of get down on last year's team but when i look at the advanced numbers in the league we were probably the be third or fourth best defense in the league last year if you go by points per drive points per play explosiveness uh, and here's one thing that we were really good at we were the best team in the league at points per drive that got inside the 40-yard line so we either forced a turnover or we forced a field goal. And, and you made the point about forcing a field goal. In today's football, forcing a field goal is a win. That's a winning drive, really. If you force a three, uh, especially in this league, that can be a winning drive. And we saw that some last year. Um, so, so I'd say keeping that aspect, and, and really if we can get our offense better and our special teams better and keep last year's defense, this could be a team that wins – five games in the league and, and win seven games overall. That really, to me, the improvement to be made is on the offensive side of the ball and maybe even more so special teams this year than it is on defense this year. So that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, but I hope we keep that ability to stop teams inside the 40 and force a few more turnovers because to me, forcing turnovers is kind of the, the key in today's game as well. Yeah, and I didn't ask this and I want to go back when it comes to the offense. What is, and if you didn't, don't have it off the top of your head, that's fine. What is, you know, the hope and desire for the offense when, if you could, you know, click your fingers and, you know, improve something? Well, 
last year, when, when I look at the offense, K-State, when you look at the whole season in the Big 12, was worst in points per drive, second to worst in yards per play, worst in points per play. Um, <laughs> offensive success rate, which is the percentage of plays that's successful, there's a formula for that, was only 38%. So there were just a lot of bad things about the offense last year. Um, and I, to me, the one thing I'd like to be is, is if they can find some way to be a little more explosive, because I think at some point you've got to make explosive plays in a football game. You've got to have chunk plays of 20, 30 yards, and then you've got to break a couple touchdowns of 40 per game almost. Because it's just, while we want to be a ball control team still, I think, I'm not changing that, you still got to be able to make chunk plays. And last year's team did not do that. And that was a big detriment to that offense becoming one of the worst in the league. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of forgot how depressing the offense <laughs> yeah. was. I, because I think it's easy to dump on the defense when you're in the Big 12 yeah. and you have a yeah. season that results in not being able to go to a bowl game. But when you lay it out, it truly does kind of bring you back to how dysfunctional that offense yeah. was. And I, mean, I just The, the problem was, when you look back, there was a couple games where our defense was just awful. But for the most part, the defense was average or above. Yeah, put you in position the to offense, win games. The offense was much more often mediocre or below mediocre last year compared to the defense as far as when you look at advanced stats. Well, it will be interesting to uh, see how it plays out. So now we'll get into the period where, you know, you'll be able to grade your predictions against all the other Blitz Week participants. So uh, in some of them, not just predictions, but also perception of temperature checks. So the first one I'm going to ask everyone because I think this is very – telling as to how the last eight to nine months have gone, but yeah. what was your first reaction when Coach Kleiman was hired, and how has it evolved and changed over the last eight to nine months? I would say initially the word I would use is underwhelmed because, and, and I blame myself a lot. I got caught up in kind of the Seth Luttrell stuff. And, oh, you're, you're talking to the, the I was day all, one guy. I was all on board with that. And, you know, really, I was – Probably because I'm an offensive guy, I was just on board with a more fun offense, quote unquote, more fun. And so I got caught up in that hype. And then when I saw defensive guy, FCS, connection to Gene, all that stuff, and you, you read the negativity on social media and the message boards, and, and you, you, can't, you find yourself starting to believe it. And I think. There's some legit cautions there, but initially underwhelmed, but then, you know, I just kind of, as, as you look at it, change a little bit on that over the over the course of things. So what is the one thing he said or K-State's done or really anything? What has been like the big thing that's happened that you've said, you know what, I'm excited for this era change. Like what's, if you had to pinpoint the one thing? One thing, I, I would just say, his approach to taking over the program, uh, a confidence in what he can do and what he has done. And, and, you know, acknowledging the program was where it is and what Snyder did, but then saying, it's mine now. And I think 
there's a, there's a humility to the way he's done it, but he's still got a little bit of different type of swagger, but he's still got a swagger to how he approaches and the confidence to how he's approaching the program. And, and I think he's building things in a way that can be successful based on, based on that perception of who he is. Yeah, and it's how he answered, because he's asked this, and he'll probably be asked this every time he has an interview from now until probably the end of his first season, is what's it like taking over for Bill Snyder? And it's exactly right. He always mentions, hey, you know, he's built this foundation, but I'm not trying to be him. I am myself. I am successful, and we're going to be successful because of my vision. And there's that, it is what you said, that swagger, but at the same time, He's not, you know, dumping on Bill, which no. I would if I were him. But, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I've put myself in that corner. I don't think Bill's ever going to come on Bosco's boys, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to do any of that. But uh, one thing on the flip side of that, because I'm trying to, you know, get everyone's even, you know, both sides of the take. Is there anything he's done or said that has made you a little bit more reserved or cautious since the hires happened? That's a good question. Uh, the funny thing is. For me, he probably fixed it because my biggest caution was when he hired Ted Monashino as a defense coordinator. I wasn't sold. I, I found a way to buy in because I'm a kind of optimistic guy, but I was not sold on that hire. And really, him leaving and then Hazelton coming on board has really almost alleviated the biggest concern I had uh, in his initial hire and, and putting together his staff because I think. Honestly, I think Hazleton's a much better option and will be a much better college coordinator than Montecino was going to be. Well, and I'm, I, I was in the exact same boat because I think when this when the announcement first came and people were trying to map out the staff, I think Matt Hall over at KSO had his you know hot board for all the position yeah. coaches. I think everyone latched onto the idea of Scotty Hazleton because he was successful at North Dakota State. He was at USC, Nevada. Yeah. Uh, he NFL was in the NFL bit, as well. Yeah. So then when Montecino came around, you know, everyone's just like, oh, like, I, because I, I found myself quickly being almost yeah. overcorrecting yeah. for the social media yeah. backlash. And some <laughs> folks say it's because I'm friends with Gene or yeah. all, whatever. Yeah. But I found myself defending it and then I almost felt validated because it's like, oh, he went off to the NFL. I was like, yeah. that was a great hire. But then when Scotty <laughs> Hazleton came in, I was like, all right, that's the guy we all yeah, wanted. That's what, so. Yeah, it's weird how that turned out. But. Yeah, so uh, the next one, and this is where it comes to predictions, and you're going to be able to okay. grade yourself against, you know, everyone else. So I'll keep the scorecard, and, uh, you know, when the season's over, we'll, we'll determine who is the best at making all these predictions. Who is going to be the offensive MVP, and why do you feel that way? Okay. And if you want to go for, like, an untra- – I'm not telling yes. you how to – but if you go untraditional, you know, really sell me on – what to look for well, here, throughout the season. Here's what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to do like the obvious and then kind of my dark horse for each spot. All right. My obvious one will be uh, Skylar Thompson. I think it's his team. The de- you know, you look at the quarterback record with Messingham. Um, you look at what Thompson said, his confidence. Um, I think he's going to be the key to on offense. And so my initial thing would be he's going to be the guy. Now, if I had a dark horse, it's I don't have one dark horse. I, I split it because I don't know who's going to be the guy yet, but I'll go with Gilbert or Brown, a running back. One of those two transfers, I think, is going to step up and be, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred yard guy. And and I think we're going to use multiple guys. We're going to have multiple guys for probably three or four hundred yards rushing the ball. But if one of those guys can step up and be the man, 
especially in this system with running back power, uh, they could be a key offensive guy and be, maybe be honorable mention second team all Big 12 as well. So well, that's I have I would a, lean. I have a vote, so all I have to do is put one of them in my first team. They'll get an honorable mention nod. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'll, uh, I'll take care of that. I'll take <laughs> nice. care of that. Nice. Um, so the next one, obvious next question, who's going to be the defensive MVP and why? And I, I assume you have a quote-unquote yeah. obvious and a dark horse yeah. as well. Yeah, my, I mean, Reggie Walker is kind of an easy pick. I think he's probably the best playmaker on that defense. Defense is built around defensive ends, defensive linemen. He should be a key. But then I go back to kind of what I said earlier. My dark horse would be Goolsby in the secondary. Not only, I mean, number one, safeties are set up to have high tackles in this defense, and safeties can get picked. So, I mean, I, I would say one of those two. I'm a massive Goolsby fan. Yeah, and I think uh, he's a cool dude, too. Well, and also so respected. He was doing the Big 12 Champions for Life thing almost the entire time he was at Media Day. At one point, we thought we were going to be able to get him on as well. Didn't materialize because the guy's doing these promotional <laughs> shoots for the Big 12 doing Champions for Life, doing charity <laughs> stuff. Like, the guy is also just, like, a, yes. an example of a great student athlete. So, I love having guys like that on the team. Definitely. So, not unlike, you know, someone you might know pretty well, Ty Zimmerman, yes. you know. I, I think Good there's dude. I think there's some parallels. I love ties. I think he might have been a little bit more talented, mm-hmm. uh, but you know I think that you know if you look at the student athlete aspect, I think they are good mirrors of each other. So um, the next question is, who are you predicting to be the young breakout player this season? And I'm putting that as anyone who is a redshirt sophomore or younger. I'm going to go with um, Link Knowles just because I think he's got some explosiveness. He got a taste last year. Um, Skyler said good things about him. I, I do like the, how kind of Skyler said good things about him, but also pushed him like he's got some things he can get better at, basically. He's got to you know, mature, figure out. But, you know, obviously, if the guy was finding a way on the field last year, he's got talent. He had to do a few things right to get on the field as a freshman in Snyder's system. Um, but to me, Finding that explosive playmaker receiver is going to be a key, and I think he's got a good chance to be it. Yeah, I, I like that pick, and how how you mentioned it was 100% correct. Because in every interview, Skyler says someone like Gill or Schoen yeah. were the best guys in spring, but then he makes sure to mention Malik Knowles has the most talent of anyone on this team. So I think that if you know Malik is someone who is uh, listening to what folks are saying, there's that carrot out there and they're dangling it. And I, 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 I 100% agree with how you put that. Um, so here's the biggest one. This is, you know, every single person will probably make this type of prediction. Uh, I, I won't be as mean to you as I am to Grant <laughs> if you change your answer later on. But I will ask you to throw something out there is what is your official win-loss prediction for the year? I think, I'm right now I'm picking six and six. I think uh, four and five in the Big 12, two and one in the non-conference. Probably a loss at Mississippi State, and uh, uh, I just think this team—that's kind of where this team is at. I, if I had to lean, honestly, right now because I'm an optimist, I'd probably lean seven and five over five and seven. But I'm staying at six that, and six. You right have now. that Matt Hall. Yeah, Matt Hall. I'm going. <laughs> I'm leaning ob- obvious. Yeah. All right, and then the final question is: Are you predicting any statement wins amongst those six? You can define statement win however you want. Yeah, I. I predict we win one game against the top three 
final teams in the Big 12. I don't think it's going to be OU. So I think I, I I'm not going to pick one team right now, but I, I predict we'll beat either Iowa State or Texas, who I think Iowa will round State's out the last. Iowa State's not going to a bowl game. I Iowa think, State's going five I, and seven. I hate I I know <laughs> we like to hate on Iowa State. I do too, but I think this might be the the, the year they get to the nine. Ooh, strive, strive for, for nine. nine may happen this year, but I think one of those losses is going to be to K State. Well, I don't think so. I think they'll go five and seven, but I, I like the way you talk. Um, that wraps it up. We'll give you the platform. Um, tell the Boneheads where can they find the work you're doing. Tell them their Twitter handle. Um, just anything you want to plug. Yeah, Twitter's KSU underscore fan, of course. Same thing on KSO. I'll be doing some stuff with KSO this year and on Twitter, both. Um, but really, the, kind of my focus is kind of the charting of, of games, especially offense and kind of I'll be trying to do that for every game this year, um, at least the week of the game, as much live as I can. I also chart what I call the five factors. I'm probably more known for kind of advanced stats in basketball, which is kind of Ken Pomeroy's based on his system. But I also do what are called the five factors in football based on Bill Connolly's work. He's just got hired from ESPN this summer. Uh, he used to work at SB Nation. But he's done some really good work on per play type stats and then percentage based stats based off of that which I think are much more informative especially when you look it's, we talk about in basketball we talk about pace all the time how many plays teams like to run uh, same thing happens in football how many plays how many drives teams use big 12 teams use their 13 14 15 drives per game and the high number is 75 to 80 plays per game K-State's 11 or 12 drives per game and 65 plays per game. So when you compare how well you do on offense and defense, to me, you've got to look, account for that pace stuff. And so those are things that I'll be featuring on my Twitter and on KSO this summer or this, this fall as we look at football. And hopefully it gives you a little nuance, a little twist to how you look at football and, and can be informative to, to fans and help them enjoy the game a little bit better as they watch. Yeah, so I'm going to tell a little story, and I, I can't recall if I've ever told you this, but <laughs> so uh, you, you definitely were a part of the Go Emaw crew, and even before that, Casey yes. uh, fans, right? Yes. That, yeah. So I recall being in high school and then early on <laughs> in college, always seeing your breakouts and all that type of stuff, and I had this weird obsession of trying to make sure I commented in every thread <laughs> that uh, that was on the front page of Go Emaw uh -huh. in case you fans. And I always remember when it would come to your threads. I, I didn't care one <laughs> lick about advanced stats, but I had I had this like desire. I'm like I want to comment on. So I would always just do like an emoji or like something like that, and I wouldn't even read them. I wouldn't even read them. So, but when I got a little older, I think it was probably around. Uh, I think it was towards the end of Frank Martin, especially yeah. with the basketball advanced stats, I started really focusing and reading it. And then post-college, especially because my secret day job, a lot of it is analytical, I yeah. started really focusing in on what you would post on Twitter, on message boards, and all that type of stuff. And it really did take my enjoyment of games to the next level. And then for basketball, even more than football, but football, I'm going to focus even yeah. more on it. 
just being able to see that extra data point, like try to think of things almost as more of a science versus an art form, and it really took it to the next level. Then my dad has actually commented every time you come on the podcast, he goes, that Jimmy guy, he, he's so smart. And, and he goes, it changes the way he watches the game. So it, you definitely do have that impact on folks. And I can't uh, recommend folks when you post, when you have uh, you know a content piece on uh, KSO or on Twitter to really dive into it uh, because it really does take your enjoyment in the way you watch games to the next level. So on behalf of uh, random folks who've been reading what you've been putting out for a long time, thank you. And uh, I look forward to continue to dive into what you put out there. Cool. Sounds good. Hope, hope for a good year. Hope it's a fun year. Uh, hopefully we can – I just want to see us go to a bowl game again, honestly, at this I, point and, I, and, and have I, some fun. I love bowl games, and but even towards the end of last year, I was just like, I, I don't care. Like, yeah. I wanted to beat Iowa State more than I wanted yeah. to go to a bowl yeah. game. But now in this new era, I'm all – like, I, I used to think six and six, whatever. Like, it, it doesn't matter. I, I like watching bowl games, but I didn't care. But six and – I'm desperate to get back to a bowl game, so yeah. – I'm starting to come around. We'll see when I put my official prediction out there what I end up landing on, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, Boneheads, we love you guys. Thanks for all the support. Hope you're enjoying all these shows we're putting out in August. And uh, we're almost football season. We're almost there. So uh, we'll talk to you guys later.
Social Podcast Network.